0: Wake not the dead, wake not the dead, they bring but gloomy night, and cheerless desolation into day, for in the grave who moldering lay, no more can feel the influence of light, or yield them to the sun's prolific might, let them repose within their house of clay, corruption vainly wilt thou ever essay, to quicken, It sends forth a pestilent blight, and neither fiery sun nor bathing dew, nor breath of spring the dead can ever renew. That which from life is plucked becomes the foe of life, and whoso wakes it waketh woe. Seek not the dead to waken from that sleep, in which from mortal eye they lie enshrouded deep. Wilt thou forever sleep? Wilt thou never more awake, my beloved, but henceforth repose forever from thy short pilgrimage on earth? O oh, yet once again return, and bring back with thee the vivifying dawn of hope to one whose existence hath since thy departure been obscured by the dunnest shades. What? Dumb? For ever dumb? Thy friend lamenteth, and thou heedest him not. He sheds bitter, scalding tears, and thou reposest unregarding his affliction. He is in despair, and thou no longer openest thy arms to him as an asylum from his grief. Say then, doth the pally shroud become thee better than the bridal veil? Is the chamber of the grave a warmer bed than the couch of love? Is the spectre death more welcome to thy arms than thy enamoured consort? Oh. Return, my beloved, return once again to this anxious, disconsolate bosom. Such were the lamentations which Walter poured forth for his Brunhilde, the partner of his youthful, passionate love. Thus did he bewail over her grave at the midnight hour, what time the spirit that presides in the troublous atmosphere sends his legions of monsters through mid-air, so that their shadows, as they flit beneath the moon and across the earth, "'dart as wild, agitating thoughts "'that chase each other over the sinner's bosom. "'Thus did he lament under the tall linden-trees by her grave, "'while his head reclined on the cold stone. "'Walter was a powerful lord in Burgundy, "'who, in his earliest youth, "'had been smitten with the charms of the fair Brunhilda, a beauty far surpassing in loveliness all her rivals. "'For her tresses, dark as the raven face of night, streaming over her shoulders, set off to the utmost advantage the beaming luster of her slender form, and the rich dye of a cheek whose tint was deep and brilliant as that of the western heaven. Her eyes did not resemble those burning orbs whose pale glow gems the vault of night, and whose immeasurable distance fills the soul with deep thoughts of eternity, but rather as the sober beams which cheer this nether world, and which, while they enlightened, kindle the sons of earth to joy and love. Brunhilde became the wife of Walter, and both being equally enamoured and devoted, they abandoned themselves to the enjoyment of a passion that rendered them reckless of aught besides. While it lulled them in a fascinating dream, their sole apprehension was lest aught should awaken them from a delirium which they prayed might continue forever. Yet how vain is the wish that would arrest the decrees of destiny! as well might it seek to divert the circling planets from their eternal course. Short was the duration of this frenzied passion, not that it gradually decayed and subsided into apathy, but death snatched away his blooming victim and left Walter to a widowed couch. Impetuous, however, as was his first burst of grief, he was not inconsolable, for ere long another bride became the partner of the youthful nobleman, Swanhilda also was beautiful, although nature had formed her charms on a very different model from those of Brunhilde. Her golden locks waved bright as the beams of morn. Only when excited by some emotion of her soul did a rosy hue tinge the lily paleness of her cheek. Her limbs were proportioned in the nicest symmetry, yet did they not possess that luxuriant fullness of animal life. Her eye beamed eloquently, but it was the milder radiance of a star. "'tranquilizing to tenderness rather than exciting to warmth. "'Thus formed, it was not possible that she should steep him in his former delirium, "'although she rendered happy his waking hours. "'Tranquil and serious, yet cheerful, studying in all things her husband's pleasure, "'she restored order and comfort in his family, "'where her presence shed a general influence all round.' Her mild benevolence tended to restrain the fiery, impetuous disposition of Walter, while at the same time her prudence recalled him in some degree from his vain, turbulent wishes and his aspirings, after unattainable enjoyments, to the duties and pleasures of actual life. Swanhilda bore her husband two children, a son and a daughter. The latter was mild and patient as her mother, well-contented with her solitary sports and even in these recreations displayed the serious turn of her character. The boy possessed his father's fiery, restless disposition, tempered, however, with the solidity of his mother. Attached by his offspring more tenderly towards their mother, Walter now lived for several years, very happily. His thoughts would frequently indeed recur to Brunhilde, but without their former violence, merely as we dwell upon the memory of a friend of our early days— born from us on the rapid current of time to a region where we know that he is happy. But clouds dissolve into air, flowers fade, the sands of an hourglass run imperceptibly away, and even so do human feelings dissolve, fade and pass away, and with them too human happiness. Walters, inconstant breast, again sighed for the ecstatic dreams of those days which he had spent with his equally romantic, enamoured Brunhilde. Again did she present herself to his ardent fancy in all the glow of her bridal charms, and he began to draw a parallel between the past and the present. Nor did imagination, as it's his wont, fail to array the former in her brightest hues. While it proportionably obscured the latter— "'so that he pictured to himself "'the one much more rich in enjoyment "'and the other much less so than they really were. "'This change in her husband did not escape Swanhilda. "'Whereupon redoubling her attentions towards him "'and her cares towards their children, "'she expected, by this means, "'to reunite the knot that was slackened. "'Yet the more she endeavoured to regain his affections, "'the colder did he grow. "'The more intolerable did her caresses seem.' and the more continually did the image of Brunhilde haunt his thoughts. The children, whose endearments were now become indispensable to him, alone stood between the parents as genie, eager to effect the reconciliation, and beloved by them both, formed a uniting link between them. Yet, as evil can be plucked from the heart of man, only ere its root has yet struck deep, its fangs being afterwards too firm to be eradicated, So was Walter's deceased fancy too far affected to have its disorder stopped, for in a short time it completely tyrannized over him. Frequently of a night, instead of retiring to his consort's chamber, he repaired to Brunhilde's grave, where he murmured forth his discontent, saying, "'Will thou sleep forever?' One night, as he was reclining on the turf, indulging in his wonted sorrow, A sorcerer from the neighboring mountains entered into his field of death for the purpose of gathering, for his mystic spells, such herbs as grow only from the earth wherein the dead repose, and which, as if the last production of mortality, are gifted with a powerful and supernatural influence. The sorcerer perceived the mourner, and approached the spot where he was lying. Wherefore, fond wretch, dost thou grieve thus? For what is now a hideous mass of mortality? Mere bones and nerves and veins. Nations have fallen unlamented, Even worlds themselves, Long ere this globe of ours was created, Have moldered into nothing, Nor hath anyone wept over them. Why then shouldst thou indulge this vain affliction For a child of the dust, A being as frail as thyself, And like thee the creature, but of a moment? Walter raised himself up, Let yon words that shine in the firmament, replied he, lament for each other as they perish. It is true that I am myself clay, lament for my fellow clay, yet is this clay impregnated with a fire, with an essence that none of the elements of creation possess, with love, and this divine passion I felt for her who now sleepeth beneath this sod. Will thy complaints awaken her? Or could they do so, would she not soon upbraid thee for having disturbed that repose in which she is now hushed? A vaunt, cold-hearted being, thou knowest not what is love, oh, that my tears could wash away the earthly covering that conceals her from these eyes, that my groan of anguish could rouse her from her slumber of death. No, she would not again seek her earthly couch. Then sense it that thou art, and couldst thou endure to gaze without slumbering on one disgorged from the jaws of the grave? Art thou to thyself the same from whom she parted, or hath time passed o'er thy brow and left no traces there? Would not thy love rather be converted into hate and disgust? Say rather that the stars would leave yon firmament, that the sun will henceforth refuse to shed his beams through the heavens. Oh, that she stood once more before me, that once again she reposed on this bosom. How quickly should we then forget that death or time had ever stepped between us? Delusion, mere delusion of the brain, from heated blood, like to that which arises from the fumes of wine. It is not my wish to tempt thee, to restore to thee thy dead, else wouldst thou soon feel that I have spoken truth. How? "'Restore her to me!' exclaimed Walter, casting himself at the sorcerer's feet. "'Oh, if thou art indeed able to effect that, granted to my earnest supplication, if one throb of human feeling vibrates in thy bosom, let my tears prevail with thee. Restore to me, my beloved. So shalt thou hereafter bless the deed, and see that it was a good work.' "'A good work? A blessed deed?' Returned the sorcerer with a smile of scorn. For me there exists no good nor evil, since my will is always the same. Ye alone know evil. Who will that which ye would not? It is indeed in my power to restore her to thee. Yet bethink thee well, whether it will prove thy will. Consider, too, how deep the abyss between life and death. Across this my power can build a bridge but it can never fill up the frightful chasm. Walter would have spoken, and have sought to prevail on this powerful being by fresh entreaties, but the latter prevented him, saying, Peace, bethink thee well, and return hither to me tomorrow at midnight. Yet once more do I warn thee, Wake not the dead. Having uttered these words, the mysterious being disappeared. Intoxicated with fresh hope, Walter found no sleep on his couch, for fancy prodigal of her richest stores expanded before him the glittering web of futurity, and his eye, moistened with the dew of rapture, glanced from one vision of happiness to another. During the next day he wandered through the woods, lest wanted objects, by recalling the memory of later and less happier times, might disturb the blissful idea that he should again behold her, again fold her in his arms, gaze on her beaming brow by day, repose on her bosom at night. And as this sole idea filled his imagination, how was it possible that the least doubt should arise, or that the warning of the mysterious old man should recur to his thoughts? No sooner did the midnight hour approach than he hastened before the grave field where the sorcerer was already standing by that of Brunhilde. Hast thou maturely considered? inquired he. Oh, restore to me the object of my ardent passion, exclaimed Walter with impetuous eagerness. Delay not thy generous action, lest I die even this night, consumed with disappointed desire, and behold her face no more. Well, then, answered the old man, return hither again tomorrow at the same hour. But once more do I give thee this friendly warning. Wake not the dead. All in the despair of impatience, Walter would have prostrated himself at his feet and supplicated him to fulfill at once a desire now increased to agony. But the sorcerer had already disappeared. Pouring forth his lamentations more wildly and impetuously than ever, he lay upon the grave of his adored one until the gray dawn streaked the east. During the day, which seemed to him longer than any he had ever experienced, he wandered to and fro, restless and impatient, seeming without any object and deeply buried in his own reflections, in quest as the murderer who meditates his first deed of blood. And the stars of evening found him once more at the appointed spot. At midnight, the sorcerer was there also. Hast thou yet maturely deliberated? inquired he, as on the preceding night. "'Oh, what should I deliberate?' returned Walter impatiently. "'I need not to deliberate. What I demand of thee is that which thou hast promised me, that which will prove my bliss. Or dost thou but mock me? If so, hence from my sight, lest I be tempted to lay my hand on thee.' "'Once more do I warn thee,' answered the old man with undisturbed composure. Wake not the dead. Let her rest. Ay, but not in the cold grave. She shall rather rest on this bosom which burns with eagerness to clasp her. Reflect. Thou mayst not quit her until death. Even though aversion and horror should seize thy heart, there would then remain only one horrible means. Stotterd, cried Walter, interrupting him. "'How may I hate that which I love with such intensity of passion? "'How should I abhor that for which my every drop of blood is boiling?' "'Then be it even as thou wishest,' answered the sorcerer. "'Step back.' "'The old man now drew a circle round the grave, "'all the while muttering words of enchantment. "'Immediately the storm began to howl among the tops of the trees.' Owls flapped their wings and uttered their low voice of omen. The stars hid their mild beaming aspect, that they might not behold so unholy and impious a spectacle. The stone then rolled from the grave with a hollow sound, leaving a free passage for the inhabitant of that dreadful tenement. The sorcerer scattered into the yawning earth roots and herbs of most magic power and of most penetrating odor, so that the worms crawling forth from the earth congregated together and raised themselves in a fiery column over the grave. While rushing wind burst from the earth, scattering the mold before it, until at length the coffin lay uncovered, the moonbeams fell on it, and the lid burst open with a tremendous sound. Upon this, the sorcerer poured upon it some blood from out of a human skull, exclaiming at the same time, Drink, sleeper. "'of this warm stream, that thy heart may again beat within thy bosom.' "'And after a short pause, shedding on her some other mystic liquid, "'he cried aloud with the voice of one inspired, "'Yes, thy heart beats once more with the flood of life, "'thine eye is again open to sight. Arise, therefore, from the tomb.' "'As an island suddenly springs forth from the dark waves of the ocean,' Raised upward from the deep by the force of subterranean fires, so did Brunhilde start from her earthly couch, borne forward by some invisible power. Taking her by the hand, the sorcerer led her towards Walter, who stood at some little distance, rooted to the ground with amazement. Receive again, said he, the object of thy passionate sighs. "'Mayest thou never more require my aid. "'Should that, however, happen, "'so wilt thou find me during the full of the moon, "'upon the mountains in that spot "'and where the three roads meet.' "'Instantly did Walter recognize "'in the form that stood before him "'her whom he so ardently loved, "'and a sudden glow shot through his frame "'at finding her thus restored to him. "'Yet the night frost had chilled his limbs "'and palsied his tongue.' For a while he gazed upon her without either motion or speech, and during this pause all was again become hushed and serene, and the stars shone brightly in the clear heavens. Walter, exclaimed the figure, and at once the well-known sound thrilling to his heart broke the spell by which he was bound. Is it reality? Is it truth? cried he. Or cheating delusion? No, it is no imposture. I am really living. Conduct me quickly to thy castle in the mountains. Walter looked around. The old man had disappeared, but he perceived close by his side a coal-black steed of fiery eye, ready equipped to conduct him thence. And on his back lay all proper attire for Brunhilde, who lost no time in arraying herself. This being done, she cried, Haste, let us away ere the dawn breaks for my eye is yet too weak to endure the light of day. Fully recovered from his stupor, Walter leaped into his saddle, and catching up with a mingled feeling of delight and awe, the beloved being thus mysteriously restored from the power of the grave, he spurred on across the wild towards the mountains, as furiously as if pursued by the shadows of the dead, hastening to recover from him their sister. The castle to which Walter conducted his Brunhilde was situated on a rock between other rocks rising up above it. Here they arrived unseen by any save one aged domestic on whom Walter imposed secrecy by the severest threats. Thank you for listening to this sample. To continue listening to this book and for access to all of our other full audiobooks, please subscribe for seven seventy-seven per month. Go to adultbrain.ca or follow the link in the show notes. This will be a completely separate podcast with a new RSS feed and will have all the titles from this feed as well. Thank you for your help and support in bringing rare and forgotten books to audio for the world.